welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and this is my podcast where I get to talk to coaches about coaching. And today I am extremely excited. I have got the guru on. Thanks for coming in, Jason, and talking to me. Thanks for having me, Brent. This is going to be fun. Mate, I am shaking. This is I've got someone who is the podcast expert who's been doing this for so long, has got all those uh, great shows out there, and I've got you on my show. I am I'm pumped. Oh, I don't know if I'm an expert yet. We're still kind of figuring this thing out, but I'm faking it pretty good, I think. Nah, that's all good. <laughs> so for the for the two people out there that don't know who you are, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Oh wow, yeah, grew up. Um, how long do we want to go back, right? So I grew, I grew up in a small town in West Virginia. Uh, for those in the states, know you know where I where I grew up. It wasn't uh, wasn't the hotbed of golf and junior golf when I was uh, when I was a kid. Uh, so I was really big into all sports. I was my best sport was probably baseball. Actually, people probably don't know that, but I, I was fortunate to grow up with a good group of kids that were exceptional athletes. So we won, I think three state championships in baseball. I was like one, I was on a team that was one game away from the little league world series finals. I mean, we were, we were destined for greatness. And then we got to high school and I think we all sort of found our own niches and, and I sort of found golf late. So I didn't get introduced to golf until uh, I was like 12 or 13 years old and then kind of, you know, just went crazy with it and kind of went my own way in, in that regards. Uh, so got good enough to fortunately play golf in college. I got a couple of kind of low D1 scholarship offers, uh, but decided to uh, go the NAIA route because they wanted to pay for my school. I got a full ride to Glenville State College in West Virginia. It was only a couple hours away from, from uh, my house, which was kind of nice, but it was far enough away to get to get out there on my own. So I had, had a good time uh, with that. I always worked in the golf business. It's kind of interesting. I've never had another job as long as I've been uh, working since I was like 16. Uh, Cause in the summers I would, I would go and, and do the, uh, you know, the range and the, the typical, you know, bag, bag room kid uh, route during the summer and play a lot of golf. So then when I graduated, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something in golf. So everybody wants to play. So we're, you know, I'm trying to get better uh, at playing, but I'm like the first thing that comes to mind when you, you're going, to that route, unless you're an exceptional college player, is you're going to get into, you know, kind of the assistant pro uh, situation. So I was lucky to get a job as an assistant uh, here in West Virginia and kind of just went from there. So it was like, you know, what, what, what route do you want to go when you get in there? But they tell you, you got to get a PGA membership. So I kind of worked on that, worked at a couple different clubs and was trying to play and was a pretty decent player, but was never going to play the tour or, you know, play at the next level. Uh, so I sort of took the teaching, uh, but I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll try the traditional route as, as getting a head professional job, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> but it also, it also brought me to, to North Carolina. And that's how I got really to Charlotte is I got my first head professional job when I was like 27, 28, completely unaware of what I was getting ready to, to take on uh, was a huge failure, but I learned a ton uh, in that role as a couple of years. But it, it really, I always say it's one of my biggest failures because it it taught me really what I didn't want to do the rest of my career uh, and really started teaching a lot more as I was uh, trying to run, you know, a pretty decent sized operation. Uh, and, and then once I figured out, hey, you know, I really want to start to teach full time, I was very fortunate to get hooked up with Dana Rader, uh, which uh, is my first mentor, basically. Uh, she had a top 25 golf school in the area and was a top 100 coach. And so she gave me a, a redneck kid from West Virginia an opportunity, and I just sort of ran with it from there. And worked, worked for her for 11 years, which was life-changing because I could just work on my skills and work on my, on my craft uh, as a coach and didn't really have to worry about you know, anything else as far as running tournaments or folding shirts and, you know, taking care of members. Uh, so started to get a little bit better, got, got a pretty decent reputation, started to win a few awards. And then, you know, it's like, what's the next step? And the next step is I wanted to be in a place where I could sort of run my own programs and uh, kind of do my own thing and, and be 
Dana Rader would be the boss. I didn't want to run a golf school, but I just wanted a small little academy. So uh, right up the road, Carmel Country Club, which is where I'm at now, uh, came open and I was happy to get that job and, and kind of start. And I've been there nine years. So it's been a, uh, it's been a really good ride and I, uh, just love what I do every day. Awesome. It's, it's so cool to have something that you enjoy going to for a job. And there's so many people out there that don't have that, that luxury of going to something they enjoy. And I certainly get where you're coming from with regards to being in that club pro space. It's certainly a challenge dealing with certain types of um, people inside of that role. So being out well, there. Nothing, nothing against club pros. It just wasn't, it just wasn't my passion. Right. I mean, I think it's a very important part of our business, but I think the key is, you know, as we, as we get older, we start making decisions, we making decisions. We have a little bit more, I guess, self-awareness of like what we're good at and what we're not good at. And I was definitely not good at being at a club pro. And I, I really felt like I had a, I had some skills uh, that I could develop as a, as a coach and as a teacher. Um, so turns out I made a pretty good decision. it's worked out okay it has it has so talk me through some of those early influences you said you spent some time with Dana Rader which is obviously pretty Mm -hmm. cool um Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that she brought into your coaching early on that really stuck with you yeah I mean I think you know as we we all have mentors and I have I have hundreds like you know the list is long of people that have influenced me over the years but you know, her uh, really just giving me an opportunity to have an environment to learn and to grow, uh, not just professionally, but uh, personally as well. And I think she was probably a, a bigger influence on me personally than even professionally, even though that was, um, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. But, you know, the things that come to mind is is just that she was kind of a trailblazer as far as women in golf at that time. And is a legend now in, in the teaching game. And she taught me how to set goals. She taught me really how to how to be a continuous learner and the and, and really the the benefits of that and the importance of that to to reach to reach my goals. Um, because when I came in there, you know, I was a reasonable teacher, I'd say a decent teacher. And looking back, I was, I I didn't know, I didn't know crap. Right. I mean, it was, it wasn't, you know, you think you learn a lot more when you're 29, 30 years old, you don't know anything. I still don't know anything, but it's, it's an opportunity to, to really focus on what something that I really enjoyed doing and really loved and was curious about. And then it just opened up a whole new world for me. So you know, I, I really just put my nose down and started started grinding and started reaching out to, to people, going to seminars and started, you know, the continuous learning. But again, it's not even that. It's just more of the other side of uh, she taught me how to deal with people. She taught me how to deal with different personalities. Um, like I said, she she taught me how to set goals and the like how to really uh, hold yourself accountable. And then you got eight, seven, eight, nine other people that you're that you're working with in a golf school environment like that that are all sort of moving in the same direction. So you've got, it was just amazing to me before I got there as a head pro, I really didn't have anybody to talk to about teaching. And then now I got 10, 12 people that I can go in and say, Hey, you know, what about this idea? What are you learning? What are you reading? You know, how do I get better? So we all sort of pushed each other in the same direction. And that was, that was what was really great. So the, the big thing I remember when I first got there and we started setting goals and I she said, well, what do you really want to do? And I said, well, I, a couple of things. I want to be a top 100 teacher. So this is a long time ago. And I was like, you know, and that came to fr- fruition after several years. But and I said, I want to have the respect of my peers. And and she's like, well, what does that look like to you? And I said, well, I just want to be respected for somebody that works hard and, and also gives back. Right. So and that didn't flip for me for a couple of years, but she helped me to kind of look at things differently from you know, the, the sort of the servant mindset rather than the ego mindset. And that was, I think, probably what really turned my career around. No, that's, that, that, that makes so much sense. And I just really enjoy the fact that you're open to improving early on, which is always comes up in your podcast that you're always open to improving. And I just really enjoy the fact that it's about 
connection with those students. That's what I heard through that answer there, the fact that you can be the expert in golf swing or all the different technologies or all the different coaching theories out there, but if you can't get it across to that student standing in front of you, it, it just can't work. So that was that's awesome that you're heading down that path. Really cool. So who else was an early influence on you apart from Dana? Who else is the one that kind of stands out as people that you that you go and talk to about coaching? Gosh, I mean, like I said, the list is long and I would, you know, would probably leave somebody out. But I mean, just early on and it's it's kind of grown into, you know, the people that I surround myself with now, as I call sort of my mastermind crew, or like my personal board of directors. But I mean, early on, the first the first big teaching seminar that I went to, I started Dana's at two, I think it was 2000, 2001. I went to a big teaching seminar at Jim McLean Golf School when he was at Doral. And that, it just opened up a, another avenue to like how different coaches do things. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is really cool. You know, things that you can learn uh, from other coaches. And then from there, I just started going crazy with, you know, trying to reach out to people. And this is, you know, as the internet started to get more and more traction and you, you could, you had, it was a little bit easier to get in front of folks and get in touch with folks, but going to as many seminars as you can, you know, I just started to build a bigger network. I mean, anywhere from, you know, some of the legends now like Jim Hardy, um, Chuck Cook is a, you know, big influence on me. Uh, and, you know, then we start getting into guys that, you know, are sort of my age and even the younger coaches now like Chris Como. And I mean, golly, the, the John, John Graham and, you know, guy, we can go into putting stuff. I mean, you know, David Orr, I mean, there's just, it, there's too many to even like Chuck Evans, you know, when I got into golf and machine, I mean, it's like Charlie King as far as like marketing and, and mindset. I mean, there's just so many people that have been so gracious to spend time with me and it's, and that's why I'm so passionate about passing all this stuff on to other people and, and young coaches out there because I think it's a necessary thing and it's it's something I enjoy doing. No, that's really cool. I'm going to get to your your little crew, your little team that you had on the podcast only a few a few shows ago. I think you had your your staff on having a bit of a chat. I think over a couple of bottles of wine at some stage there. I think I saw some photos. <laughs> really cool, but um, yeah. so I'll certainly get to those, but. I hear you on your podcast talk a heap about being a coach as opposed to being a teacher. And it's something that, that I encourage people that I'm talking to about coaching to be. Um, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's it's something that I've really put a lot of stress on really in the last four or five years is getting a little less involved in technique and then bridging that gap to, you know, personal performance or, you know, we always hear about the, you know, they hit it great on the range. You don't hit it, hit it really good on the golf course type of situation. So I think you've got to be able to separate the different skills uh, from being a teacher and a coach. I think you have to be both. So I, I feel like I'm a really good teacher, but I felt like I was lacking in that sort of coaching piece. So we have really did, you know, dived into you know the game like training stuff with ian highfield um just all the things that you know the intention piece that we talk about as you probably heard heard on the podcast the, the other day is just such a an important thing getting into the brain and getting into the mindset of the player um, affects how the body moves and how the club moves so it's just it has to be a part of the complete teacher the complete coach um, so it's something that we, you know, my, me and my staff have really been, uh, passionate about uh, in the last few years, because if, if not, I don't know that we're truly helping our players, uh, perform better. Right. So it's like, as Ian says, you're, you're either training to learn or you're training to perform. And I think there has to be a flow from beginning to end and it has to end with performance. Right. So we're based on results from our players. That's all. That's how we're measured as coaches. Like you can make them hit the ball great on the range, but if it's not turning into better scores or achieving their goals, then we're really not doing the best we can. So I think, it, you know, you have to have both. 
Do you think, and I would agree that, or I, I, I certainly think that we focus too much on technique as golf coaches or we have in the past. I think it's changing now, which is great. So do you yeah. think that's a, a problem that golf coaches have had, have, have, have um, come across over the years? I think you can, you can get lost in mechanics um, for sure. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, I think the genius coach knows when to transition. It knows when that player needs this, whether it's technique change, whether it needs, you know, pattern change, and they need to know when to transition into, you know, how do we play, right? How do we get, you know, random practice and games and um, getting people onto the golf course? I think there has to be a blend of both. So I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't label it as we've been too technique driven because I think that's super important. And I think that's something if, I don't think you can have one without the other, right? So conversely, you can't have, you can't just take a, a new player or an average golfer and say, we're just going to take you onto the course and we're going to learn to play if they can't get it in the air or they can't control their golf ball. Right. So, I mean, it's, there's a little bit of blend of both, but again, it's like have, making those decisions as coaches is what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I, a lot of times we can't explain why we do it. It's just more, in, you know, instinct I think is a big, big deal when it comes to doing our job. When do you transition? When do you make changes? When you don't make changes? That's some of the things that I think is difficult to explain uh, when young coaches come to watch me teach or we talk, you know, I talk uh, teaching with other coaches, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, well, why'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It just, it just felt right. You know, it's just it, that that's what needed to happen. It, like, that's what I mean, my brain's constantly going a thousand miles an hour, uh, even though I'm not speaking a lot of times. And then at some point you got to make a decision, right? So, you know, if this guy's, if there's a, if there's a swing technique problem that needs to change and you feel like it if we don't change it then he's not going to be able to be able to perform then you have to make that decision and you got to get buy in from the from the student obviously um and then if it's like okay I can kind of leave that alone I think this is functional I think this is repeatable let's go let's go test it on the golf course then you have to do that as well and I think that's that's why I love the programs that we've kind of gone through the last couple of years um, is more of an unlimited lesson program. And that's allowed us to do that. Like you have to have, you have to have the space in the golf course to do it, which we have a busy golf course, but now we have the time to do it because we got people that buy into a more of a long-term plan rather than, you know, a one-off lesson where you don't see them once a month. Uh, I'm not sure that works a lot of times. Yeah, I'm definitely going to cover off on what you do program-wise at your at your setup. But um, I just want to cover quickly there. We had a chat with Travis Harrison, who's on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, and he was talking about pushing to the edge of someone's comfort zone with those players. And I think you brought it up there. So mm-hmm. you said you can't take them on the course if they can't get in the air, but you have to be able to get them onto the golf course at some point in time. So you said it was instinctual. Was it something that you've always had or was it something that you built on or that – that um, understanding of the time to switch over. Yeah, I, th- I just think it's a lot, a lot of time spent on the lesson T. You know, it's just you can't, you can't really replace experience. You know, it's it, you just keep doing things, making a lot of mistakes, taking people maybe too down, too much down the rabbit hole of, of technique and and then failing, and then going back and reflecting on, you know, maybe I should have done something different. You know I mean? I do a lot of reflecting on, on lessons and, and things that I do with my players and then trying to not make the same mistake twice. So I think it's just, it's just teaching a lot. I mean, that's just the best answer I can give you. It's just a lot of hours spent on the lesson to a lot of hours dealing with different people, different types of players and asking the right questions, you know, always kind of having a, a, a pulse on your player, right. How they feel, um, because it's not all about us. It's about them. Right. So it's, it's just a lot of that. I mean, it, I don't know if that answers your question, but again, it's like a gut, it's a gut instinct that I think is developed over time. Um, that's hard to explain. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. And I, I'm guilty myself. I'll put my hand up and say, I was guilty early on of, um, didn't want to coach until I had it perfect, but it's right. something that's always changing. It's something that's always evolving and been always. coaching for 20 years. I've been coaching for 20 years now and it's always, there's always something you're always improving, always got something out there that's, that's coming along to improve your coaching. So encouraging all coaches out there to get out there and start coaching as soon as you can. Really cool. Well, well that's, and that's, that brings me to that, 
you know, the importance of having that relationship and that trust of the player, right? Because, I mean, there's plenty of times um, I had Sean Foley in my place a couple of years ago and he was, he was coaching uh, at the Wells and I brought him over and he was nice enough to talk to my staff. And, and the, the thing that stuck with me that he said was, don't be afraid to fail. Like, don't be afraid to, to, to screw up, right? Because if you're not, then you're not taking enough risk and you're not really getting uh, the most out of your player. But if you have that relationship and that trust, then being able to pivot is a, is a skill, right? Being able to like move to move to something, you know, that, Hey, this isn't working. We need to go in another direction without completely shattering the confidence of your player, I think is a skill as well. But I mean, it's just, that's, you got to almost go to the edge of like, all right, I'm going to push this player as far as I can and let's see what happens. And then start to bring in, you know, like the game, like training stuff, right. Then you bring them in the golf course and then you test it and you put, you put enough pressure on it much, as much pressure as you can. I mean, obviously we're talking mostly about tournament players, but even for club players that have aspirations to, to really get better. Um, I think it's an important part and you got to know when to back off and you got to know when to push them a little bit. I've always um, encouraged anyone that I'm helping out with their coaching to uh, start coaching the kids at their club, start coaching the juniors because you can screw the kids up. You can always get them back later on. <laughs> and I've screwed up plenty of kids over the years, so that's fine. That's, uh, that's part of the fun. of. Um, but again, you can always – and I tell this story as well. I um, was coaching in Australia for quite uh, – oh, geez, probably 10 years and then I got a job overseas in Taiwan where I was coaching – a national squad over there. So all of a sudden I had 20 kids in my squad that could do exactly the stuff I was telling them. And I worked out that some of the stuff I was teaching wasn't right because <laughs> they were good learning, isn't it? <laughs> so I made a quick pivot on my coaching ideas pretty quickly over there. So that's really cool. Um, okay, so you talked about your early college career and that's something that we don't have in Australia. So um, talk me through what college golf is like as a player, and then I'll get to your college players as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's changed a lot since I was younger. Um, and, and also going through, and for those people out there that follow me know that I have a, I have a son now that plays D1 college golf. So I've gone through it as a parent, as a coach, and also as a player. Uh, so I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but now I guess back, back in those days, I mean, I, I barely remember my recruiting process. I mean, like I said, it was like sending out a letter to a coach or a videotape. <laughs> it was like VHS tapes, which is, that's how old I am. So it's, it's like, you know, contacting coaches and then hearing back from them, you know, they go through your high school coach, whatnot, and then they start offering you whatever they're going to do. And it, it was funny because I, I look back and I was just talking to somebody the other day about, about this very thing. And like, I got 50% offers that I turned down thinking that that wasn't enough. And nowadays, like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, if you get a 50% offer, you know, for a D1 program, that is really, really good because they only get four and a half scholarships for a team. So I'm not sure if I made the right decision <laughs> back in the day, but, but I got a full ride to a smaller school and I got to play, uh, which was good. I wish I probably would have taken more advantage of that opportunity is I, I didn't work as hard as I should have. I uh, had a lot of fun in college. <laughs> uh, that's another story. Um, but nowadays it, it's, it's a, I mean, it's almost a business, right? I mean, kids are getting recruited so early. I mean, I'm coaching a lot of kids. I've got a couple, I got a girl that's like 13 and she's like already, you know, getting, getting contacted by colleges. Um, kids are getting, getting, and they've changed rules a little bit now. I know, cause I don't know if you've had any college coaches on the program, but they're trying to make it a little bit dip, more difficult for kids to commit so early because kids are committing like an eighth and ninth grade, um, which is, I don't think the best thing for, for college golf. Cause a lot of things can change as you know, uh, from then till senior year. Uh, so, you know, they're getting, they're getting recruited, you know, they're and nowadays. I mean, right now with COVID the co coaches can't even watch them, which is kind of crazy. So they're just talking to them on zoom. But typically the coaches can go watch and play and then they start talking to them. They take visits and then start making decisions. I was surprised at how how huge the program was over there. So I hadn't had any exposure to it at all until I was oh, in yeah. Taiwan. And we took the kids over to play some tournaments in the US and we went to Southern California. We played the Junior Worlds. We played some AJGA events. Right. Um, 
couple of other things there, but that pre-qualifying rounds for junior tournaments, that just blew my mind that they had a, a yeah. full field uh, pre-qualifying round prior to the junior events. It was just unbelievable how, how huge it was. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, AJGA has kind of got a nice little hold on um, a lot of kids that really want to play college golf and big-time college golf. You don't have to go that route, but, I mean, you almost you almost have to to get noticed unless you're really, really good. Um, but, yeah, you got you to Monday qualify into some of those tournaments if you don't have enough stars. It's, it's ridiculous. It just surprised – and even the, the college rules as well. So with Junior Worlds, um, that squad that I took over there, we were fortunate we had – Three, three of the girls finished top ten in junior worlds, and two of the boys finished top ten. So nice. I had I had college coaches because I was out there with my guys, and they're handing me their cards, and I'm like, just go and talk to the kids. They're they're over there, but they they, they can't couldn't, couldn't come off the cart path. There was all these rules and regulations that I just couldn't get my head around. So. It was um, it was a, a strange situation. So you brought up your son who's now playing college golf as well. So I did want to chat about that. And from a coaching perspective, obviously you got him started into golf. Mm-hmm. Are you still coaching him now, or how have you dealt with with that? Yeah, he hadn't fired me yet, which is which is, which is <laughs> yeah. nice. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been it's been a really interesting journey. Um, cause we had a lot of ups and downs, like relationship wise, more, more ups and downs. Thankfully, uh, he had, he had a lot of ups and downs in his career. He had a, he went through a big slump when he had a big growth spurt, uh, his sophomore year, he grew like nine inches, got a lot stronger and all of a sudden couldn't find his golf ball. Um, so it, it was, it was an interesting journey that turned out you know, positive. Luckily he ended up getting a very late two offers, his, uh, first of his senior year. So that was, that was really cool. Cause I mean, literally we didn't know, you know, if he was going to play or he wasn't going to play. I knew he, I knew he was good enough to play. Cause I, you know, I'd seen him, I was coaching him and um, it was just a matter of getting the coaches, you know, the late in that game that had room on their teams to, to offer him. So, you know, Tennessee tech university reached out, Marshall reached out and it's been such a, such a great fit. And he's had, Aside from not being able to play this fall, as far as the the team goes, he's played some individual events and he's continues to get better. Now he's strong enough to, as I say, make the changes that I saw in his swing when he was a little skinny, hundred and forty year old, you know, hundred forty pound kid. Um, now he can actually support the changes, and he just keeps getting better. So the the future looks pretty bright for him. No, that's really cool. So how do you blend in that that father role and the coach role at the same time? That must be challenging for you, I'm sure. It, it really was um, because, I mean, like I said, I, I always tell when I do talks at like junior golf meetings or uh, college recruiting meetings that I was, I'm a much better junior golf coach than I am a junior golf parent <laughs> um, because it was difficult to separate the two. Now, as, far as, as, as far as we, you know, when we would work together, um, at the start, like, let's say when he was like 10, 11, 12, and he started to get really good, I thought that I was spending enough time with him when I would spend 10, 15 minutes in between lessons or just have a quick look on the range. And we had to, at, at some point we had a little team meeting, shout out to my wife that was kind of the moderator and kind of kept this thing all that she's really the glue that keeps it, this thing going. Um, had, we had a little team meeting and, and we sort of voiced our concerns and he said, dad, I'm playing against all of your students and you're only giving me 15 minutes and you're giving them two hours. <laughs> so that was, that was a big, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, you're exactly right. So we start, once we, we started literally scheduling hour to two hour lessons per week, then things got a lot better. Um, but then on his end, he was not always the greatest student. So we would literally verbalize the fact that when I was getting ready to coach him, I would say, okay, I'm putting the coaching hat on, right? And then if I was going to be the father, I'd say, okay, I'm putting the dad hat on now, okay? So we would literally talk talk that out. And I said, are you ready to be the student? Or are you ready to be the son? And then, so we'd had to come to an agreement and then everything went great. So as we grew through that and again, going through the slump and and then the resurgence at the end, um, it really, our, our relationship got much, much stronger 
And then now it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's like, uh, we enjoy, I enjoy working with him and like, he calls me to every tournament now when, you know, he's had a couple of individual tournaments here during COVID and he's literally, you know, he's like calling me like, Hey, you got to come early. You got to, you know, we need to do some work. You know, it's like, it's like teaching a little mini tour player. And I'm like, dude, you're fine. You know, cause we do a lot of FaceTime lessons. We do a lot of stuff on online and he sends me videos now when he's not in town, but you know, it's still, uh, yeah, we're, we're very, really close. I mean, he's, he's really my best, my best buddy. Awesome. That sounds really cool. But I'm sure he was here at some stage through his teenage years. He went through that stage where I don't care what you say, dad, I'm doing what I want to do. hundred percent. Yeah. And he, he'll tell you that too. He's been on a couple podcasts and, and they, they've asked him, you know, what, what, what is it to like how, how your dad is being a top coach? He goes, well, for a long time, I didn't think he knew what he was doing. And then, then I guess, you know, people started telling, you know, his friends would be like, what are you talking, why aren't you listening to your dad? Like, he's a really good teacher. <laughs> and uh, finally, finally, he's like, you know, it started to come around and, yeah, but he still won't, he still probably won't give me too much credit. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> Colin Morikawa or, or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Xander Shoffley's dad. He's like, I don't want to tell him that he's awesome. Cause it'd be like, and I would be bowing down to him, but, um, <laughs> Someday maybe he'll give me a little bit of credit when he's on tour. <laughs> That's really cool. Really cool. I'm I'm sure it's a challenging space for you, and it sounds like you've got it set up really well. I it really is. enjoy that. That <laughs> changing hats is a pretty cool idea. So that's pretty awesome. Um, now, when we're trying to schedule this this podcast, you we had a date timed out, or I had a date sorted out, but then you had a college trip with some of your college players. Can you talk me through the process that you go through? with your college players when they're out playing? Yeah. Well, that was actually, that was me going to watch my son. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, I, I work with a couple of the kids on his team as well, just through, you know, the relationship that we have and getting to know them. So there was, there was two or three of the kids from the, his team coming. And then I had, I think three, three or four other kids from other colleges that were in the tournament too. So I'll just spend a little time with them on the range. I mean, it's mostly, they kind of understand in that situation, like my son takes precedent, right? So I'm, I'm going to be with, I'm going to be with him. But if somebody needs, needs a look or I'll try to get their practice rounds together. A lot of times where I can, I can watch them all. And I'm always going out with him for practice rounds. He wants me to help him with, with his decade and help him with his, you know, his indicators and his, and his lines and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like teaching on on tour, but not really being on tour. <laughs> it's it's kind of difficult, but yeah, most, I mean that's the only time I don't I don't go out with my other college college players um, at this point. It's just always with my son, but usually I have somebody else. You know, I have other I have other players in the field typically. So how do you set up? Because in in Australia we have a similar type of setup. Isn't isn't obviously the same, but we have when a player gets to that high performance stage and they get picked up by the Golf Australia squads, they have an overseeing coach that kind of oversees their training, and then they have their home coach as well. So mm-hmm. how do you set up your coaching and tie it into what the college coach is doing as well? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, and some a lot of the college coaches are really good about contacting me, you know, about their players because I think it's important um that you know, college coaches aren't trying to be swing coaches a lot of times. And it's I think it's a real important relationship for for college players to be successful is that the college coach has a a relationship with the swing coach or with the mental coach or whoever they're working with. Um, so I just try to keep an open-ended, you know, conversation and try to just let them know, you know, what we're working on and what they need to keep an eye on as far as their technique or their mindset or, or whatever we're working on. I think is it's super important because they're going to be with them, you know, way more than me. Once they go off to school, all I'm getting is mostly videos and, you know, FaceTime calls or, or whatever. So it's, I mean... Coach Coach Brown and Coach Smith at Tech have been great because I mean literally if, they, if there's a problem, like they'll Facetime me with Nick like on the range or during practice and or whoever it is I'm working with on the team and 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 just handle it right there. That way they can kind of give me feedback on what's happening and um, because again they're they're going to be like my eyes and ears. So it's a very important relationship I think. 
I'm sure it's challenging, and I have heard issues with with players over here where they have issues with coaches overstepping their bounds. So I think it's yeah. pretty clear from what you say to set those boundaries straight away. I've ha- I've had I've had just as many on the other side, just like you. I mean, I've had coaches that don't call me, and I get their players every couple of weeks, and and the players are giving me feedback like my coach wants me to do this with my swing or he wants me to do this with my putting stroke and it's like completely opposite of what I'm trying to do and it's not a good not a good way to for for a, a college kid to be successful that's for sure too too many too much conflict i mean they get they have enough time worrying about everything they're dealing with at school much less having a, a different message uh, from you know multiple voices Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, now, obviously, you're a successful coach where you are. You've got a, a thriving coaching setup there. How have you set your coaching programs up at your facility and why have you done them that way? I heard you talk about long-term programs. Um, can you talk me through some of your coaching programs? Sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've been there nine years. Uh, when I came in, um, <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that me and the staff or who, you know, whoever the, the, the guys that were working underneath me sort of had a constant and consistent message. Um, so first thing I did was just develop a, just a simple framework of like well, how we're going to teach. And, and, and don't get me wrong. This is not, it's not a, it's not a method. It's not, it's not anything, but just, okay, here's what's important. And then, my guys that work for me all teach a little bit different that I encourage them to have different styles. So that was kind of the first thing that we did. I call it my mastermind skills, uh, which is pretty, pretty basic stuff. And then as far as programming, uh, when I came in, you know, it was basically the normal programming of like, you know, you do private lessons and you have like little group clinics with your ladies or you have group clinics with, with adults and then you obviously have juniors and it took me a couple of years to figure out that, you know, I wanted to do something a little bit different and trends started happening. And, you know, some other friends, like you talked about Jason Hellman credit him to, to pushing me more into a long-term coaching mindset. Don't give him too much credit. I know. I, I, I hated to even say that. And that's my boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he sort of, he actually, he actually pushed me into the, the biggest loser program, which I started, um, I guess it was like second or third year I was there, which, you know, I had some gamification uh, products there where, you know, they're trying to lower their handicap. And it also had a time frame uh, rather than just doing one-off lessons. So it was a combination of private lessons and sort of supervised practice. So that was sort of revolutionary at that time. Like nobody was really doing it. Uh, Corey Lumberg, I think, was doing it at the time too. So I had to talk to him. So we started all kind of pushing, pushing the industry in that direction, which was great. That was fantastic. I started branching out, doing like level one, level two, level three programs, where it just it required time, and then just a mix of those um, sort of buy-in from the student that you don't get from like a one-off lesson or a one, you know, one per month. It just gets, it gets the student in a different mindset of like, okay, I really want to get better and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend more time with my coach. So going forward, everything kind of is cyclical, right? So after four or five years, started seeing a little bit of a downturn and I'm always trying to like mix things up and try something new. And then I, a couple years, I guess it's been two years ago, I had my friend Scott Kauks uh, come in and do a certification for my staff and, and for some other pros. And I was talking to him and I was like, well, what are you doing? I think he was at Hamilton Farms at the time uh, with your programs because I do unlimited. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's interesting. So we talked about that and I said, well, why can't we do that? I'd already had a, I already had an annual unlimited that I was doing, but that was it. I said, why can't we chunk it into smaller timeframes and see how that goes? And I, Robbie had just started with me. So we, I was trying to get his book full and Seth was starting to get busy so I'm like, this would be a great way to kind of fill all our books and then also get the students that you want that are really committed to getting better, right? So it's like, you, I got a big club. There's still plenty of room for that one-off lesson situation. We got a, like a little burst program where you can do a five-lesson series, but now I do three months, six months, and a year unlimited 
where they can see the coach as much as they want. Now we got to put some constraints on it, obviously, because it can get out of hand, especially with kids and the juniors. So I'll tell them that, you know, I don't want to see them more than twice a week. And typically most of my adults are working anyway. So it's like once a week tends to be sort of the average, but what it allows me to do is spend more time on the golf course with them. So good example is I'll have one of my guys will come in for like maybe a mechanical sort of technique lesson for an hour, one, one day per week, and then schedule two hours the next week. And we'll go play nine holes and we'll go on course and do strategy stuff. And it's just been amazing. We're all super busy, um, which obviously helps create value for your membership and your, and your players. Cause now you got buy-in from both sides and you can take your time, right? You can really train people properly rather than just throwing band-aids on, you know, a guy that wants to hit it better and, you know, win his NASA on Saturday, I'm building golf swings. I'm building performance in my players. Now it doesn't matter the handicap. I get, I just took on an annual student last week. That's a beginner. It's going to be awesome. I, I'm so excited for this guy. Like he's a high performer. He's really driven. He's, he's, you know, he's all in and it's going to be fun to just get him playing golf. So it's like, it doesn't just have to be a really good player to buy into this stuff. It's got, it, it's, I think it, it's effective for all levels of skills. That's really cool. I think it, it is a, it is a challenge to get students to commit long term. So, how did you find the suite? So, I'm, I'm assuming that you don't do any private lessons anymore, any one offs coaching, or you just you still offer that? No, we still do privates. Yeah, we still do the privates. It, it's just it, it's just another option, right? It's like you know you get because everybody's going to sign up for a private lesson, and they're going to be like, hey, what do you what do you offer? And then we kind of lay it on them and say, here's what we do. It's really really simple. It's simple accounting wise, obviously, because you just have a lump sum for this time. And I say, well, if you don't have, and I always tell them like, if you can't commit to at least one a week, then I don't want to sell this to you because I don't, I don't want to waste your time and my time. And then the other side is just the five lesson burst that we, that we do for, we sell a bunch of those too, because that's the person that, you know, just wants to take four or five lessons and they end up taking more and they end up turning those five lessons into a long term after a while anyways if they figure out they have a little bit more time to work on their game or the, to play. And this year now with COVID, I mean, our golf course is busier than ever. People are home. So they're just trying to, and this is our, their outlet. So we've been busier than we've ever been because everybody's, you know, this is their, this is their time to, to kind of get out of the house and, and work on their game. So it's, it's been a win-win for us for sure. Awesome. So talk me through your structure there. You've got a couple of staff under you that work with you. I heard them on the podcast as well, coming and chatting. So talk me through your structure there. So there's obviously you over, over the, overseeing the whole the whole academy, but who else is working for you? Yeah, I've got uh, Seth Mers. He's my director of junior golf, and he teaches adults obviously as well. But his, his he has a very, very big job because we have 1,500 members and a very, very active uh, junior golf program that he adopted from Maggie Simons, which was there before. And she's now director of instruction in Oregon. Uh, so we started, we were actually the very first private club uh, to have what we used to be called iGrow. Now it's op 36. I don't know if that you heard of that in Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the, the, by far the best junior, junior golf uh, program out there started by a couple of guys from, from Campbell, uh, which are just doing a fantastic job. Now like they've got over 800, uh, facilities and are all around the world now. So we were the very first one. So we were, we were kind of the Guinea pig. I, I told them, I met with those guys at the PGA show, whatever, whenever they started four five, six years ago, I've lost count before it was even completed. And I said, sign us up because it was that good. I mean, it's so, it's just, it's such a great, great deal. So they're doing, doing that. So we've grown that over the years and now we're, we've always been busy, but I feel like we're a more effective, uh, junior golf, you know, we have a more effective junior golf program that is is full with a wait list every time. So he he's a very integral part of our uh, system. And he was a PGM student that interned for me. Both my kids, both kids, both my guys, which is younger than me, are, are uh, PGM students. Uh, he was from Mississippi State. So he's been with me the longest. He actually left and came back after Maggie left. And I gave him, gave him an opportunity. He's a fantastic coach. And then Robbie Fails, uh, that's been with me for a couple years, came from Clemson's PGM, is just a superstar coach. I mean, if you listen to him on the pod, he's just really smart, gets after it, 
you know, doing all the, doing all the, the certifications and getting the information. Um, so yeah, it's, we're, we're all kind of helping each other get better. I mean, these guys, they test me every day because they're learning stuff faster than I can even blink. <laughs> and, and so they're, they're, they're pushing me to get better, which is, is what it's all about. No, that's awesome. I've got two more on my hit list now to come and get on my podcast as well. So boys, if you're tuning in, I'll be hitting you up to come and have a chat Absolutely. to me as well. Yeah. You need to have them on. I mean, they're, they're both, uh, they're both superstars. I will get them out here. So I, I really enjoy the, the conversations you have on your podcast about their ongoing training. They, you're always talking to them about coaching, always, always setting, uh, chats up with them to improve their coaching. So talk me through how you've formally set up their ongoing training. Yeah. I mean, at first, you know, before we even, I guess it's, do we do it more in the off season? I would say, cause I don't want to like take up too much of their time if they can be teaching. Um, but we called them guru Tuesdays first. Cause we used to have like a meeting we'd have, I would, I would block our books for an hour every Tuesday and we would get together and it was, it was more about just, catching up with them. Cause even though we're teaching in the same facility, like we're going a hundred miles an hour and in, in other, other directions, we really don't even get to talk uh, as much as we want to until things slow down in the off season. So the way I did it was I would have them bring case studies in kind of like you, you uh, heard on the, on the last couple of podcasts and we would just talk about, you know, what we do, why did you do that? and and go through it and then I would share my insights because I watch them teach a lot if I ever have any time free which hadn't been much this year I'm always kind of peeking in on their lessons and listening to them because I, I learned something but also uh, they enjoy getting feedback from me of like hey what'd you think you know and that's that's really how we get better so it's not even about me holding a meeting and telling them how to teach it's more about us talking about teaching and sort of growing together um now, as we get into the fall here, and we'll start slowing down hopefully in the next month and a half. It just depends on the weather here. Um, we'll start having more and more meetings. So we came up with the idea of, of these uh, Ask the Guru and Staff uh, podcasts where, you know, we've done a couple in the dojo, but now they'll just come over to the house, which is a heck of a lot more fun because we get to drink a little wine and then we talk. And we basically <laughs> have a staff meeting. It's the coolest staff meeting on the planet, right? Because we yeah. get to have, have, some, uh, have some good wine and then and really just talk about what, what's been going on, you know, how, how, how's, how's the teaching going? What do you need to know more about, you know, what's your, what are your goals? And then I'll meet with them individually, you know, in, in the off season as well to kind of get their ideas. Cause they, if I know where they want to go, then I can help them get there. I like it a, a lot. That's um, an awesome little setup there. So we've, we've brought up your podcast a few times through, through this chat. Why did you get started in, in podcasting? What was the idea behind that? You've been obviously doing it for a fair while now. What was the thought process behind getting involved with that? Man, that's <clears throat> I was kind of hoping you'd ask me that question because I was thinking about it today. I was like, why didn't why did I do it? And it, it was it was just kind of the next step, right? So I was thinking back to when I guess 2008, 2009 when social media and then really in the golf industry sort of started booming and I credit you know, Charlie King to this, I, I, for this, I went to a, a meeting or a, a seminar or something. He was talking about, you know, YouTube was starting to get hot, you know, and, and blogs were starting to get hot. So I started my own YouTube show called Guru TV. I started a, a blog, which became, now it's become my website. You know, we all started getting active on Twitter and Instagram you know, came along much later. So it was like, I needed something new, right? I just needed another platform to kind of get my message out. And I had no idea how to do it. I was like really afraid of like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't even want to talk on the telephone, much less get on a microphone <laughs> half the time. So it's, it's, it's interesting that I had the idea because I had started listening to podcasts really in the last year. I mean, really, I guess the last, before I even started mine, which has only been like a couple of years, but Prior to that, it was all like CDs and cassettes and different programs that we would listen to in the car. And now podcast has kind of taken that role. And there's a guy that, that works in a, at the club and he just worked in like banquets. And we kind of struck up a friendship and he was an ex-rapper. Okay. So he was an ex, he's an art, he was, he was a, uh, he was an artist. I mean, this guy's amazing. 
And he goes, yeah, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to get my Instagram thing going. And he's like, can you help me? Cause you seem to be really good about the social media stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy to help you. Like, tell me of your story. And he's telling me he's a rapper. He's going to start a production company, all this stuff. And I go, dude, how, how do I start a podcast? And he goes, oh, I can help you with that. So he kind of talked me through like sort of the ins and outs of it. And he was my producer for like the first podcast. And then after that, I was like, well, I can probably do this on my own. I don't really need, cause it was just, he lived way far away. So that's how I started. And, and honestly, I had no intention of, I know that the podcast, the podcast world, and you've probably done this research too. It's like most people do about six of them and quit. Right. And so if you last like 10, they, they say, well, you, you, you kind of made it. So I, my goal is to do a hundred. And I was like, all right, well, I've kind of done that. So initially I had no intention of doing anything. I was just like, all right, let's see how this goes. And then it became really fun. And it was, I was building new skills. I was doing some different things. I was learning a lot. I was networking. This was my, you know, when you can't get out and you get these guys on the podcast and I've struck up some great relationships with guys that I've always wanted to talk to and learn from. And it's just kind of steamrolled from there. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it going, I guess. As soon as I, as soon as I figure out, as soon as I think like, man, this is a lot of work and I just don't want to do this anymore. Somebody reaches out to me and says, you've made an influence. You've made a difference in my life and my career. And I'm like, gosh, I got to keep doing it. <laughs> I got to keep, keep going. Yeah. So it's like, but I, I really enjoy it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work as you know, and you do such a great job. I've, I've already started listening to yours and it's, um, but it's very, very rewarding to like, affect other people and, and for people to reach out and say that, Hey, I, I enjoy the information that you're putting out. So it's just another, it's just the, the long road of social media and another platform to kind of get information out. I think. It's, um, it's, it's a cool excuse just to talk to coaches. That's why I set started mine up. I thought I don't care whether anyone downloads it. I just want right. a, an, an excuse to talk to people about coaching. hundred percent. It, it really is. It's, I, I always, you know, I said that in my earlier podcast, I'm like, this is just a selfish reason for me to get better. <laughs> and then you guys get to hear the conversations that I've been having phone calls for with some of the top coaches in the world for over 15 years. Why not share it with the, with the rest of the people? Yeah. So that's why I'm doing it. I certainly haven't hit your download targets. I'm sure with my podcast yet, but um, hopefully it'll build up as we go along. But as I said, I'm doing it just to talk to coaches. So that's pretty Absolutely. cool. You're doing a great job. Mate, so thank you so much for your time. We've kept you um, plenty of time, but I've got a, a few questions I'd like to ask everybody. So I'm going to throw those questions at you to finish off today. So any tips for coaches starting out out there, your advice for coaches starting out? Yeah, so <clears throat> so I've done my homework on, on my end here. So I've got, I've got a list for you. All right, so... Um, First, first thing that comes to mind is is do your best to put yourself in a position to teach as much as possible, even if it's for free. And I think that's that's the main thing is you like I said, there's no certification for experience. Like you can't you can't learn to teach on the internet. You can only learn to teach by actually helping, trying to help people, and making mistakes, and, and failing, and then and then getting better in that way. So that's the first thing. Second thing is. Don't be afraid to reach out to coaches that you want to learn from and go spend time with them and watch them work. Like get in the, get in the trenches and actually watch them teach. I think shadowing is, is, is one of the best ways to, to really start to gather your information. And then obviously you're going to, you're going to go and, and do your own thing as far as your philosophy, your, your style and your, and how you deal with people. But it's never been easier than it is now with the internet I mean, I get guys that, that always reach out to me to come by and, and watch me coach, and it's an honor uh, to have that opportunity to share. And I've never turned anybody down. So that's that's a huge, huge thing. The next one would be make sure that you work on your EQ as well as your IQ. EQ meaning the emotional intelligence. Uh, in the social media age, um, I think, Information is great, but sometimes we lose that connection of face-to-face contact and and developing relationships and your people skills are super, super important. So I'd say, you know, work on your people skills, work on your presentation skills, volunteer to speak at some rotary club or what. I mean, obviously now with COVID, everything's kind of shut down, but I mean, once things open up, it's like volunteer to speak to your, your junior group or 
your club, host a fireside chat at your club or something. But working on presentation skills has probably changed my career bigger than most things because I was a super shy, backward kid, young, young professional uh, when I started at Dana's. And that's one thing, speaking of the, the earlier question of, of, uh, what she's taught me, that was a big part of it. And you, if you go back and listen to the the pod that I did with her, um, you can kind of hear how it comes through, but that was a really big thing that she taught me was how to public speak. And she forced me <laughs> into some really uncomfortable situations, um, that made me fail a lot, but also made me better. And then lastly, I would say find a mentor that cares and that will push and challenge you. Um, and this goes back to my board of directors thing uh, comment earlier is uh, Napoleon Hill wrote a great book called uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is one of my one of my personal favorites, old school kind of social personal development book. And he talked about the mastermind crew. And all that means is basically surrounding yourself uh, with people that not just friends, but also they're going to be like minded and are going to push you in a direction that you want to go. You can share goals with them. You can tell them your plans. And when you start doing that, then people are going to push you and people are going to hold you accountable. So I think that's that's really important. And then the last thing I would say is uh, when you start to get better, and this is something, a trap that I kind of went through when I started to get a little bit of a reputation and the ego started coming out, is always try to keep a beginner's mindset and keep an open mind to learn new information and always have the other person in mind rather than yourself. So the servant attitude is like super, super important. And it doesn't make any sense until you start to develop that. And not that you want to get something back, but it's amazing how things change when you start helping other people. Really, really cool answers there. Plenty of great advice for coaches out there, mate. You've um, you've um, just blown that question out of the water. So uh, I feel sorry for the person coming on after you to have to answer that question now. So that's uh, that's cool. So hopefully there's a few golfers tuning into my podcast as well. So and any tips for golfers out there? Yeah, I mean, this <clears throat> this is a tough one, I think, when you're, you know, I, th- I guess approach it to looking for a coach, right? So that's the thing that golfers are, you know, they're looking on YouTube, they're looking on Instagram and they're all looking for coaches. And I, I, I hate that I got to turn down a lot of aspiring golfers because I'm in a private club. A lot of times I can't teach a lot of the people that reach out to me. Um, but what I would say is, is do your research. You know, when you're looking for a coach or looking for instruction is talk to, talk to other golfers and just see who has the best reputation. And then I love when, people reach out to me and ask me like before, I mean, my, obviously most of my members are like, what's your philosophy? What do you believe in? Right. Do your homework before you just go and, you know, pay $150 for a golf lesson. Um, I think that's important. Uh, I'm big on trying to get my golfers or get my players to grow their golf IQ. Right. So I would, I would say it, when you take lessons, it's a two way street, right? It's not just, it's not just the, a teacher's responsibility to teach. It's also the student's responsibility to learn. And that means taking notes, journaling, following up, understanding your golf swing, understanding your tendencies and your biases, I think is really important because then, as we know, everybody's going to go on online and I'm, I can't, I can't bash the people that are putting stuff online because I'm doing the same thing. I've got videos out. I've got a newsletter. I've got you know, an app. I mean, everybody's looking at my videos, but if you know your golf swing and you know your tendencies, then you've got that filter that allows you to sift through the things that are not right for you and, or in the things that are right for you. This drills what I'm working on with my coach. This will be great. Let me try this. If it's the opposite of what you should be doing, then that could hurt you. Right. So I think you can't be, you just got to, you and I think students nowadays are definitely more intelligent than they ever have been just because of the information that we're putting out there. But there's still plenty of people that are trying stuff or going down the wrong rabbit hole because they don't understand their own golf swing. Makes sense. Makes lots of sense there. So great advice for golfers out there. Um, where do you see yourself, golf, coaching? You can answer all three or either one in five years' time. Have you got any any long-term goals set up? 
Yeah. I mean, I, God, I'm so fortunate to, to, to do, I mean, I've overachieved so much of what I ever, ever thought I would ever come to, you know, for, like I said, a redneck from West Virginia that really didn't have a whole lot coming up. There's not a whole lot for me to achieve. I, I would love to spend a little bit more time traveling. Um, and I hope to do that, you know, with maybe a couple of my young players, maybe make it on tour. I would love to, I would love to try the tour thing. I've got a lot of tour tour coaches that are friends that, that tell me you're probably going to last about two weeks and probably rethink that because <laughs> it's not all, I understand it's not all glamor and glitz, but um, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy working with my mini tour guys and, and my college players. Um, but more importantly, I'd say I, I, I really would like to do more traveling and more collaborating with other coaches. Uh, I just had my friend James, my friend James Lights just called me this morning and and we were talking about some some things and he's like, man, we need to get together and like do some workshops and do, you know, start getting some other coaches together. I did, I did that for seven years when I was, you know, coming up, um, when I first started at Carmel, I did the guru workshop for five, six, seven years, uh, having other, all these top coaches in to speak and it was great and it just got to be a lot. So I kind of handed that over to, to Andrew Rice, which is doing a great job now with coach camp and, and putting that together does a much better job than I did, but I would kind of like to get back into that a little bit. I've done a lot of small collaborations with guys like Scott Calx and James Redyard and, and, and John Graham and doing some things with my friends uh, to kind of get some pros in there. But that's kind of, I'd like to travel more. I, I would hope my job, I haven't been over, I haven't been to Australia yet. So, you know, we can, we, can, we can do, we can do a, a, a seminar over there. I would love to just travel and see the world, honestly, because now my kids are both in college and I've got a little bit more time. Uh, I would, uh, I would love to do that. That sounds, sounds really cool. Now, if you're talking to James Lights again, I have hit him up with an email to come on the podcast and he hasn't answered me. So oh my gosh. you got to get I'm him a bit on he is, about that. He is, he is a fantastic guest. That's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, yeah, you've got to get him on. He's, he's the best podcast guest because you can ask him one question. He'll just go for like 30 minutes. <laughs> He was so much to share. He's such a good dude. He was here for 2008 coaching somebody here in Australia and I helped him with his PowerPoint because he couldn't do the tech stuff. So he owes me a favor. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But I've sent him an email and he hasn't answered yet. So chase him up for me. I'd appreciate it. I'll text him after we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So anything you would change career-wise or personally in your life? Wow. I mean, you know, I I think we – we all are here because of the, you know, the failures and the the bumps in the road that we've had and what we've learned. And, uh, I think I wouldn't change a lot. I would probably, if I had to, if I had to answer that, honestly, I would have been a little bit more intentional, uh, in the early part of my career. I just kind of, I think really didn't have a whole lot of direction, like in my twenties until I got to Dana's of really what I wanted to do. So I feel like I always tell my guys that it worked for me because they're so, gosh, they're so far ahead of me. Like I'm still like five years behind of where I should be <laughs> in my learning and in my development. So I just feel like I, I feel like I, I wish I could have five years back of really getting after it and researching and doing certifications and spending more time, you know, watching other teachers teach and just getting, getting better. Um, but overall, I've been, been pretty, pretty happy with my career. Makes sense. Now yeah. I'm going to uh, throw you a curly one just to finish oh, wow. off that I didn't tell you was coming. So I want to hear about your billboard. I want to hear oh. about what you would have on your billboard. That's 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 yeah. You're you're turning the tables on me here. <laughs> I am. So, I'm, so I, it around. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a couple of billboards here. So one, you know how I love Jim Rohn, big big influence socially, you know, personal development wise. But one quote that I always that always stuck with me that he that he said was, "For things to change, you have to change. So for things to change around you, your situation, your life, whatever you're complaining about, you have to look inward first and you have to change. right? The second one is the one that I always that I always leave you know with my my, my talks and my speeches. Is just from Zig Ziglar, and that's if you can help as many other people get what they want, you can have everything you want if you're interested. 
I like it. I like it a lot. So, you, 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 but you've just broken the rules. You can't have two. You don't give your guys two. <laughs> yeah, you don't give them one. Sometimes, oh, sometimes. I don't think I've ever heard the two. I think I've only ever heard all one. So you got you got to dig in and listen to a few more episodes, man. <laughs> I might have to. I've been tuning in for a couple of years. I think since you started, just about. So thank you. Um, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, where can people find you if they want more information about you, or are keen for some coaching, or just to have a chat? What's the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah, just any of the social platforms, you know, Instagram, Twitter, uh, it's at Golf Guru TV. Uh, it's, came, that, that handle came from uh, my, my Guru TV days in, from YouTube uh, from, from the beginning of, uh, of Twitter. Uh, and then you can check out my website at golfgurutv.net and you can sign up for, I do a weekly newsletter that I send out to my members and anybody that's interested. I could just enter your email at the bottom of the website that has like, some extra content and also a link to my podcast. So awesome, mate. I'm not hard Thank to find. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I think I got to about halfway through my points that I'd written down. So we might have to line up a part two later on next year sometime. Be happy to do it, man. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, keep up the great work. Mate, it was awesome chat today. We'll catch up real soon. Sounds great. Uh-huh.